I uh, found a, a picture a while back that, and I think I've told you before, sometimes I see things and they, I find them striking, but I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with them, so I just sort of file them away. This is one that's been in my file for a while now. <laughs> but it came to mind again because we've been talking this season about Christmas contrasts, these contrasts that exist in Christmas. And I found uh, this picture that just spoke so loudly of contrasts. I'm not sure if you can tell exactly what that is on first look because it's so stark. That is two rivers. This is the Rhone River, and this is the Arve River, or Arva, Arve. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it. And I know what you're asking. Why didn't you find out? <laughs> because it's French, and uh, I'm just going to butcher it regardless. But uh, it's this confluence. A confluence is when two uh, uh, tributaries or, sec- or, or rivers kind of flow together. And where that happens here, and this is in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, there's such a stark difference between the two. I have another picture here from higher overhead. And what you can see is that the Arve River, for whatever reason, carries with it a lot of silt, and the Rhone River doesn't. And so where they meet there, there's this really clear stark contrast. Nothing could look more different from each other. And you can sort of see here maybe that underneath the surface of the water, you can see that silt starting to sort of cloud underneath. But look how nice and clear this river is. And this river uh, is really silty. It's a fascinating picture of, of a really stark contrast. And as you grab your Bibles this morning, I want to take a look at one final contrast as we look at the person of Jesus Christ and these contrasts that exist as we celebrate his advent, his arrival. And first, we're going to look at a number of passages today. I want to take you first to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 6. In verse 5, just to to give you a running start here, it says this, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, (laughs) I love that. Paul, as he's writing this letter to the the, the Corinthians, and he's he's dealing with something really specific to their culture. They were having this struggle with food that had been sacrificed to idols. But he says, listen, we know that there are these so-called gods that are maybe in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many quote gods and many quote lords right then verse 6 says this yet for us there is one god the father from whom all things from whom are all things and we exist and then he goes on to say this and one lord jesus christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist you see that that similar language used of, of both persons of the Godhead, that everything exists. We talked about this before, that, that through him everything exists. But Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, is included in that same conversation. The same language is used that, that through him everything exists and that for him we exist. But there's a very clear term that is used there. He says that, that Jesus Christ is... Lord, that Jesus Christ 
is Lord. That's a critical understanding for us in our thinking about Jesus Christ, about who he is, this idea of Lord. Now, some of you may be thinking, didn't we sort of already do this? In the first week of Advent, we talked about Jesus as sovereign. And, and there, there are sort of nuances that are the same, but here's what looks a little bit different about these two words. When we talked about sovereignty, we really focused on the idea that as a sovereign individual or a sovereign entity, we often talk about a sovereign nation, that it doesn't require or that person doesn't require anyone else's permission to act. That when we say that we are a sovereign nation, we don't need another nation's permission in order for us to write the laws within our nation. To, you know, we're not supposed to cross borders and you know, beat up on other people. But what we're doing within our own country, or a sovereign person doesn't need anyone's permission in order to act on their own behalf. Lordship has a little bit more to do with your relationship to others. Sovereignty says... I don't need anyone's okay to act. Lordship says, I can tell you what to do. Now, uh, I want to be careful. I'm not claiming for myself any sort of lordship here. I don't hear that wrong. But do you understand the difference, the slight difference there? Someone who is sovereign doesn't need permission, but someone who is a lord can command other people what to do. And that's what that word really is, Lord. It, 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 you might equate that with master. I mean, I think in some ways, it's even a more powerful word than a word like sovereign. Sovereign is often used for a position of royalty. But even in a place where they have royalty, there's something about this concept of lordship. Currently in our world, uh, the, the place that maybe we are most familiar with that still has royalty are our good friends in England, right? There's a queen over there. And this is this position, and it's an, an honored position. It's a position that carries with it some respect. But I don't think that most people in England have this idea that whatever the queen tells them to do, they're just going to drop everything and do it immediately. That's really the concept of lordship. A proper understanding of Lord is master. That old thing that my dad used to say to me, if I tell you to jump, you better be in the air asking how high, right? <laughs> you heard that one? Don't we love sayings like that as children? <laughs> and then you know what I did? I got a little older and I used it on my children. <laughs> But it's that understanding of, of what it means to be in a position of authority. And so the Bible ascribes to Jesus Christ very clearly this position of authority. Turn back to the book of John. John chapter 3. I want to go to verse 31. Jesus says, he who comes from above is above all. Now, let me stop you there. Who has come from above? Yeah, Jesus. You get what he's saying here. I am above all. 
He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. But he who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus claims even for himself very clearly. He doesn't pull punches on this. He doesn't say, well, guys, if it's okay with you, I'd like to be in charge. (laughs) He says very clearly that he who comes from above, that is me, myself, is above everything. Then turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6. We looked at this together. Oh, it's been a while now. But Luke chapter 6, starting in the beginning of the chapter, we see there's this debate about the Sabbath. Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? We talked about this before, but what they're, if you're not really familiar with Mosaic law, that might strike you as peculiar, but in the Pharisees' minds, what they're doing is work, right? This rubbing of the grain between their hands, the, the plucking of it even, that, you know, is considered work, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So they say, what are you doing? Now, I, I should point out, it is debatable In fact, it's highly debatable that when God said to his people, thou shalt do no work in the Sabbath, that he really meant, you know, even plucking grains and rubbing them between your hand. But this is what the Pharisees are asking. Why do you let your your disciples do that? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those with him. And then he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. (laughs) The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I don't exist for this day. This day right here, it exists for me. I am its master, its ruler, its king. And again, to those Pharisees, this, this saying was so outlandish. I mean, it was really radical. But he was demonstrating clearly, he was speaking clearly about who he was. And then back in Luke chapter 2, we looked at this just last week. Very simply, when the angel, in verse 8, Luke 2, 8, it says, There were these shepherds out in the field, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the I love that clear, bold statement. He doesn't say he is a Lord. He's not one of many. There's no ranking even here. He is Christ the Lord, the master, the absolute king, the ruler 
of everything. And as we looked at him as a sovereign and, and, and what that, that means, you know, to be able to act without, you know, permission, say, to be fully self-independent. Here, we see this concept of a Lord who is a master of everything, master even of creation. I mean, think of how many of the, the works of Jesus we've looked at that just have to do simply with him, simply, with him being a master of creation itself. I've said before, I love that, that simple definition of a miracle, that a miracle is just creation obeying its creator. It's creation recognizing who its master is, who its Lord is. And people marveled, who is this man? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Why? Because he's Christ the Lord. It's amazing. It's incredible. Which is what makes it so much more stark, surprising how he came, the manner in which he came but the manner in which he lived. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 10. It says this, if you keep my commandments you'll abide in my love he says this just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love this is a really fascinating statement and it's kind of peculiar if we stop and think about it because he's the Lord in fact we saw in that the first passage that we looked at in, in 1 Corinthians that he has equated Absolutely, I mean, the same language, the same phraseology used as used with God is used for Jesus Christ. That he is the Lord, and he's introduced as Christ the Lord. This is, this is really mysterious to us. This is hard for us to wrap our, our minds around. We just talked about this together in our class uh, last week as we talked about the Trinity in our second hour. If you haven't joined one of our second hour classes for adults, I encourage you to do that. But we had this really interesting conversation where then we get to this, where he is the Lord, and yet he is obedient to the Father. And yet his authority is exactly the same as the Father's. But here he talks about obeying the Father. Isn't that fascinating? If you don't completely get that, that's okay. It's another one of these things, right? If you think you completely get it, I want to suggest to you, you don't get it. <laughs> if you understand that you kind of don't get it, you kind of get it. <laughs> one God, eternally existent in three persons. I mean, it's just that alone. I mean, we grapple with that and we try to understand that. We come up with examples to try and explain it but they all really fall flat and short and they don't adequately explain God but in this passage Jesus who is Lord 
says, yeah, but I'm here obedient to the Father. Back in the book of Luke. Chapter 2. Verse 51 says this. This is after Jesus has uh, been left behind. His family goes to visit Jerusalem. And they have forgotten him, which I know sounds insane to those of us who are parents. But their communities were you know, a little bit different. And Joseph and Mary probably traveled with a number of people from their village. And they left with a number of people from their village. And they probably had the sense that, well, I don't know exactly where he is, but I'm sure he's somewhere. And then they get down the road and realize he's not here. And so they, they're concerned and they rush back to Jerusalem to find him. And it's in this context when they collect him. Verse 51 says that he went down with them then. And he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Or you might have he was obedient to them. Stop and think about that. So he's obedient to God the Father, which is just this interaction between the persons of God is just so mysterious to us. But he's also obedient to Joseph and Mary. He's Christ the Lord. And yet here he is obedient to a human mother and father who are not infallible, who make mistakes, who still sinned, and yet he made himself obedient to the two of them. Do you suppose they ever gave Jesus chores? They probably did. And you know what I read when I read that in my Bible? If they gave him chores, he did them. At no point did he say, do you know who I am? Take out the trash. I'm Christ the Lord. And I don't mean to be disrespectful or flippant, but you understand. I mean, it's a very interesting dynamic for us to think about. The Bible says he obeyed them. He was obedient to his mom, to his earthly dad. Philippians chapter 2. You might keep your finger in Luke. We'll come back to Luke in just a second here. Passage many of us know really well. Philippians 2, I'll start in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. That Jesus, as he comes in obedience to the the Father, he even makes himself obedient to his human parents. But we see, as, as we see him interact, he's also ultimately obedient even to these human authorities, these governmental positions that are are there. You know, there are some really subtle miracles that Jesus performs. And I've mentioned these, I think, before in other settings. Instances where people, for instance, want to kill him and he just sort of walks through their midst and leaves, you know. If you don't really notice it, if you don't slow down and catch it, you might miss that that's even a miracle. But here's this angry mob and he'll just walk through their midst. And so, as these Jewish religious leaders and the Roman governor and, and, and the soldiers are saying, all right, here it goes. Here we go. We're going to crucify you. I mean, he could have, you know, sometimes we, we think of the armies of angels he could have call, called down. I think he could have done even more simple than that. He could have just walked away from them. Right? And yet, he was obedient unto death. Even this death on a cross. And turn again back to Luke chapter 22. same vein, the same idea. Jesus in verse 39 came out and he went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him and when he came to the place he said to them pray that you may not enter into temptation and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I know so much of this, some of you are screaming. We're not talking enough about the birth story. But again, we're we're talking about this Jesus that as he arrives, that this is all there. And here he is at the end of his life. We've talked about this before, that scene where, where Jesus in the garden is under such strain, such stress, that droplets of blood were coming out in his sweat. I mean, to think that, oh, this is just easy for him because he's God. No, it wasn't. He's fully man, too. He knew very well what was about to come. And he expresses here, God, in obedience... If it's possible to take this cup away from me, but I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do yours. What an incredible contrast between this concept of lordship, of someone who is an absolute master, 
and what we see in the Bible, and, and we, I mean, we've just touched on a few verses, but what you see throughout the scripture about God, who Jesus is, is that everything is underneath him. No one can resist him. There is not a thing that, that didn't issue forth from him, that doesn't have its very existence in him and because of him and through him. We see him commanding even physics, you know, as he does things like walk on water, as he does things like feed thousands of people with a few little loaves and fishes, as he heals people, even raising people from the dead. That's what real lordship means, that even creation itself, and when the Bible says that everything is under him, that when he says jump, everyone and everything is in the air asking how high, right? Hallelujah. And yet, in this coming, in this advent, He's coming in obedience. That he's come to do the Father's will. He's come to make himself obedient even to these people that half the time don't know what in the world they're doing. He's come to make himself obedient to, frankly, some really wicked individuals in the world and in the culture to which he had come. This idea of Lord, Christ, the Lord, the Master. Right alongside Christ, the obedient one. The one that has the power to command, to the, that has the, 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 the right for everything and everyone to obey him that makes himself obedient. What an incredible stark contrast and there he is wrapped up in these cloths lying in an animal's feeding trough I wonder how much the shepherds wondered just at that that here he was Christ the Lord and yet here they find the lowliest situation it's a pretty incredible contrast. But I think it's one that is good for us to remember. It's good for us to remember first and foremost, perhaps, because of our relationship with Jesus. I want us to have a, a clearer understanding. I want me to have a clearer understanding of what lordship means when it comes to my relationship with Jesus, who is my Lord. Because if I'm being honest, and, and, and maybe if a lot of us are being honest, there are days in which we use that title, Lord, as just that, sort of a title, sort of an honorific, the way that you would say, Mr. or Mrs., or, uh, you know. But I don't necessarily behave 
as if he is one who says jump and I'm in the air asking, how high, Lord? If I'm being honest, and if you don't struggle with that ever, uh, boy, good for you. But I think to continually be reminded of that idea of lordship, my relationship with him will change. But I think it also ought to inform and affect our relationship with people around us, with our world, with our friends, with our family, with people we work for, people who work for us even. To have this sense that, that I don't need to be in charge of everything. Listen, if the Lord, and again, we're not just talking about a Lord, we're talking about the Lord of Lords, can make himself obedient, then you can too. You and I don't need to squabble over authority. Any authority that you or I might have is given to us by his grace anyway. It's just kind of on loan from him. We don't need to fight for that, to wrestle for that. And having a clear understanding of this obedient master ought to inform my relationship with him and it ought to inform my relationship with you. that you and I would be willing to be obedient, that we'd be willing to be humble, to have a sense of humility. And I don't want us to miss this, and I know we've talked about this before, but we get really caught up in, in the humility of this scene just because of how beautiful it is. But it's more than just beautiful, it's profound. I can't think of many things that are more profound. And I can't think of many things that once I get a really clear handle of them, start to truly affect the way I interact with Jesus, who is my Lord. Is he our friend? Say yes. Is he our brother even? Nod your heads yes. And somebody say amen. amen. Praise God. But you know what else he is? He's our Lord. He is Christ the Lord. He is worthy of all of our praise and worthy of all our obedience at all times. And yet that Lord even made himself obedient. And do you recall why he became obedient? Do you recall why Paul writes in his second letter to the church in Corinth, why he became, as he writes there, why he, he became poor? For your sake. For my sake he did this. And this is what we celebrate as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate the advent, this coming, this arrival, that this is all happening for my sake, for your sake. It's not as if Jesus said, 
I am Lord of everything. Let me try something different just to see what it's like. I mean, this wasn't just some sort of weird experiment. It was for a very specific purpose. It had everything to do with you and I. And this Lord of everything makes himself obedient. What a God. What a Lord. What a master. Who is like you, O Lord? There's nobody. There's no one. But to the extent that we can grasp that truth, it will make us better followers of him. That's what we're called to do, to reflect him with greater and greater clarity as if a a mirror were being polished and it's sort of dingy at first, but you continue wiping and cleaning and polishing until we start to look with greater clarity like our Lord who came and was obedient. Our Father God, We praise you for your lordship. God, help us to not be guilty of forgetting that. Of treating it like it's a a word, a title. Instead of a position and authority. Help us to have a relationship with you whereby we really truly understand you as our Lord that there's just no question God help us to see in Jesus Christ this humility too that as you came and took on humanity that you also took on obedience You as the Lord and master of all, the absolute authority and power became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. And God, if you, the Lord of everything, can become humble, Help us to have this same mindset as Philippians says. That we would be humble. That we would be obedient. And that our interactions with each other even wouldn't be one of claiming an authority. But that we would have a spirit of obedience certainly toward you but even a humble obedience toward each other. Toward the authorities that are in our world whoever they are, understanding that you have placed them there. Father, make us like your precious son, in whose name we pray. Amen.